Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, January 26, 2024. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, welcome back to TPT. It's a lovely day to have a good day, everybody. Happy Friday. Happy end of January. We're looking forward to February, Valentine's Day, all that good jazz. You, you skipped the most important one. Groundhog Day. Ah, oh, duh. Okay, of course. Of course I miss your birthday for the first <laughs> year. Just kidding. It's next Friday, so we're good. I yeah, got that covered. We'll do an episode on it. We'll we'll drop drop some heat on my birthday. Yes, we will. As we always do. <laughs> As we always do is right. We're about to do that right now. For our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Lisa Friedman of the New York Times, who writes Biden administration to fine oil and gas companies for excess methane. So two weeks ago, this article came out detailing a new plan by the Biden administration to lower methane emissions from oil and gas facilities by requiring these companies to pay $900 per ton of methane that they emit. This fine would then increase to $1,200 in 2025 and $1,500 in 2026. And right now it's set to plateau there. Uh, as in like 2027, it'll still be 1500 This plan can always be updated, but as of right now, that's where things stand. Pipelines, drill sites, storage facilities, they all create methane leaks, which are going to end up in the atmosphere. And some oil and gas producers practice methane flaring, which is when they burn excess gas at the site of production. This news comes after the EPA announced it would begin to require companies to detect and fix leaks of methane from wells, pipelines, and storage facilities, and that it would mostly ban the practice of flaring, except in emergencies. This will be the first fee or tax on greenhouse gas emissions ever enacted at the U.S. federal level. So oil and gas companies and their lobbyists have been mostly okay with the requirements to detect and stop methane leaks but it has been reported that they'll be fighting the implementation of fines and argue that this would raise energy costs. It's honestly just a classic case of, yeah, we will do everything we can to fix this problem, except pay for it. Yeah. We're cool with detecting it. We're cool with you know stopping the leaks, but please don't financially impact us. Yeah. People buying energy from us should be the ones that pay for the problem that we ourselves are creating. Like That's, that's the argument they have. And it sounds stupid because it is stupid. My big problem here is that these fines rely on large energy producers to self-report their methane emissions. And the government has no obligation or plans that I am aware of to verify that data. So you're relying on an industry that is notorious for being dishonest. You know, keep in mind, this is the same industry that said that you can recycle plastic very well, (laughs) when in reality, we're recycling like 9% of plastics. They're now supposed to honestly report their methane emissions. Like, I, I don't personally see it. So, look, this is a good thing. And I'm not trying to take away from the fact that this is important. This is a really good step in the right direction. It still isn't where I need it to be. And I feel like that's kind of 
been been a problem I've had with the Biden administration's environmental track record is like this would be an awesome, awesome step 10 years ago. We aren't 10 years in the past. So, yeah, absolutely. It's unbelievable to me that this is the first tax on greenhouse gas emissions. Like, how did it take us this long? before we started taxing greenhouse gas. It's it's unreal. And and at least they're targeting the right thing. They're targeting methane, which is a hell of a lot more damaging to the atmosphere than all the other gases. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. That what are they doing to actually verify the numbers? What are they doing to keep these companies who have a long storied history of being dishonest mm-hmm. and, and holding them accountable? That's, that's the most challenging part about this. Yeah, and, and two things you just said that I want to really highlight is what took us so long is the fact that the oil and gas industry lines the pockets of so many politicians that like, of course, they're not going to implement a tax on the people that are donating to their reelection campaigns and donating, mm-hmm. you know, oh, here's a gift of a car to your your son or your daughter, you know, just just take it. No worries. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like when when it comes time to vote on certain bills in the House or in the Senate, they're not going to impact their friends, right? They're going to they're going to vote down any bill for a carbon tax mm-hmm. because those are the people that are donating to their campaign and, and like taking them on trips on their private yachts or whatever. Like it's it's really shady. And the other thing that you you pointed out is you said methane is a hell of a lot more dangerous than the other gases. Definitely is in the short term. And that's why mm-hmm. it's so important that this is is going on. Because methane is 80% more potent than carbon dioxide, but it lasts in the atmosphere for a way shorter amount of time. So the best thing we can do in the short term is lower our methane emissions. This right here, if done successfully and done well, this would be a way to lower our methane emissions in the short run. But this doesn't negate the need for reductions in carbon dioxide. So yes, what you said is 100% true, but this isn't like oh my God, this is amazing. We're stopping methane. Yeah. We did it. We solved climate change. So, you know, this plan is currently in its 45 day public comment period. Maybe a good thing that people, if you're listening to the show could bring up, if you, if you email your state Senator, your state representative, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever, whoever you want to send the email to something you could bring up is this is great. I want to see us do something similar with carbon dioxide. Um, Another place you could email is press at epa.gov. And that's going to be the, the the EPA put out this announcement that the New York Times covered. You know, you can email the EPA directly and, and say, look, here's how I feel about this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that call to action. That's a great call to action, Matt. What a great job there. All right. Let's get into our next story from NBC News, where Evan Bush writes, the more scientists study Greenland, the worse its ice melt looks. Yeah, so this is uh, this is bad news. Let's get out in front of that one. Since 1985, Greenland has lost roughly 1,965 square miles in the form of glacial retreat, which is when glaciers essentially back up or retreat off of the coastline due to the melting of the ice that is located on their coasts. This article says that this is roughly the size of the state of Delaware, So previous analyses of Greenland's glacial loss seem to have underrated the impact of just how quickly these glaciers retreat once their icebergs break. This is a big deal because Greenland contains roughly 8% of the world's freshwater, which, if all of Greenland were to totally melt, would increase the global sea level by almost 7 feet. 
Unreal. Satellite imagery and historical photos were used to analyze just how fast Greenland's glacial retreat is, and it's about twice as fast as it was in the 20th century. Another study called out in this article found that 35% of northern Greenland's ice shelves have been lost, and the rest are weakening. These serve as the buffer between the Arctic Ocean and Greenland's glaciers, so with their weakening, the ice sheet is more likely to melt and flow out to sea. So that's really important. And the way to think about it is an ice cube in a glass. So basically a larger ice cube is going to melt much slower and it won't water your drink down as much compared to a very small ice cube with a lot of water surrounding it. So in this case, thinking of that analogy, land ice that breaks off of a glacier and falls into the ocean is going to make that ice melt more quickly and it's going to increase the sea levels. That is then going to lead to more glacial erosion as the sea levels rise up that glacier and start to retreat further and further inland. And it's essentially this self-amplifying problem where the more glacier retreat, the more ice is going to fall into the oceans. The more ice is going to melt, the higher the sea levels are going to get. Yeah. Yeah. It's a major, major issue. And and what can we even do, you know, to, to combat it? That's the most difficult part. I'm not really even sure what that would be or what that would look like. All I know is seven feet increase in global sea level is a massive problem. So we have to do something to figure it out. And it's not even, I know you're using we as like the societal we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not talking about me and you or listeners on the show. Like, like us turning our lights off when we're not home is important. That's not going to solve the fact that like billionaires and their private jets are flying wherever they want and emitting so many different greenhouse gases and so much of them into the atmosphere. Like it's nothing you and I or listeners of the show can do to fix. It's like we need two groups to work on it. And it's one politicians like either do what you are claiming to be doing for your constituents and, and enact more carbon taxes, mm. right? Like more policies holding people accountable. So that's the the first one is the politicians. Number two is is the wealthy class, right? The upper class. I'm not talking about somebody that works hard and likes to go on vacation and takes a flight to Europe or wherever. I am talking about the Taylor Swifts of the world. Mm -hmm. where I saw a report that, you know, she wanted to go to the Chiefs game to support Travis Kelsey. That's great. Go for it. But rather than fly commercial or rather than fly to Nashville where her private jet was staged, she had her pilot fly the private jet to pick her up to then fly her to Kansas City. So, like, that's the kind of wastefulness that I am... Um, really, really sick of seeing. And the only reason I'm calling her out is because you're probably sick of hearing me call out Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates and all of those billionaires that like, we know they are doing bad things, right? Like mm -hmm. we talk about that all the time. Let's include all billionaires. Yeah. A hundred percent. We're not afraid of the Swifties. When have we ever been afraid of the Swifties? I called them out probably a year ago. You probably called them out a year ago. It's, it's all good. We just, yeah, we're going to battle. I like her music. I think she makes good music. I just think that she's a climate criminal. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make that a clip so we go viral on TikTok and like tr like hate triple our uh, our listenership. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you like our show, 
I will make this a clip and I need you to defend me in the comments because this could get bad. It, it always gets bad on TikTok. <laughs> those kids are absolutely ruthless for no reason. <laughs> All right. Let us get into this week's environmental policy roundup. John Kerry has stepped down as U.S. climate envoy after three years. Kerry played an integral role in helping the U.S. and its allies pledge to make stronger emissions reductions, and he now plans to work on Joe Biden's re-election campaign. Canada gave none of it, a Canadian territory in the Arctic, full control of its gold, diamond, iron, cobalt, and rare earth metal reserves. None of it officials are reportedly excited about the decision-making they're now able to have over their own home, where challenges include harsh weather, lack of infrastructure, high costs, major social problems, and a largely unskilled and undereducated Inuit Aboriginal workforce. This move is expected to increase development and mining exploration. Uganda has taken in thousands of refugees from neighboring countries experiencing violence, civil war, and political strife over the last several decades. Enoch, Togira Yasu, and two other refugees began planting trees in 2016 as an effort to help reforest the areas that have been largely cut down for cooking fuel over the previous two decades. His Naka Valley Green Environment Association has now planted over 460,000 trees of various sizes. And I think that's a really cool story because that's a really long Associated Press uh, news article in your show notes if you want to go check it out. And it basically highlights how social problems in the environment kind of go hand in hand. And in this case, you have a bunch of refugees looking for a safe place to live. And they find that in Uganda. But Uganda doesn't have the natural resources to support all these new people. So it leads to deforestation, like I mentioned, that was mostly used for cooking fuel. You know, nothing malicious there. You, you need to cook your food. Yeah. But to do that, they were deforesting a lot of really important areas. And to combat that, you now have this group of refugees say, stating like, this country helped us and we were able to reap the benefits of deforestation. Let's fix that. You know, let's be a part of the, of the solution moving forward. And they're now planting, like I said, 460,000 trees of various sizes, various species, such a cool story in response to something that's that's really, really important and something that, you know, as climate change continues to progress, like there's going to be more and more climate refugees. This is something really cool that says, like, we can be maybe a part of the problem early on, but we also have a really good potential to be a part, a major part of the solution moving forward. Yeah, I'd love to get like a visual idea of what 460,000 trees like, because it sounds like a boatload <laughs> it sounds like a ton of trees. Yeah. I mean, like there's pictures in the article, but like not all 460,000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I figured that you can't probably can't get it all in frame, but I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Really cool. All right. As always, those stories are in your show notes. If you want to go read for more detail, we're going to take a quick break and we got two more for you when we get back. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. 
Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co slash TPT for 15% off. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co slash TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, Zuckerberg derided for his high quality beef ranch where cows are fed macadamia nuts and beer by Nina Lakina of The Guardian. Matt, you didn't mention Mark Zuckerberg when you were talking about billionaires you don't like before the break. This is why we have a whole story about why this man sucks <laughs> on the land outside of and above Zuck's Hawaiian underground fallout bunker for when society inevitably collapses and we start to rise up against the billionaires. He is now raising, quote, world class cattle. The 1,400 acre compound called Kolau Ranch raises Wagyu and Angus cattle and feeds them macadamia nuts and beer produced on the property. This is a major problem from an environmental standpoint because he's feeding water-intensive crops to an animal that is notoriously the source of deforestation, water pollution, and global warming. Lakani writes, Climate scientists warn that consumption must fall, especially in the developed world, in order to limit the most harmful effects of the climate crisis. A fully grown cow can release up to 500 liters per day of methane, which is about 182 tons per year. Cows generate around 3.7% of all greenhouse gas emissions, and this ranch is essentially promoting rich factory farming instead of small and medium-sized farms, both of which are less carbon-intensive. Each cow eats between five to 10,000 pounds of food each year, so Zuck bragged that his daughters help him plant macadamia trees and care for the animals. Really funny, Zuck. Um, Zuckerberg is currently the sixth richest man in the world, with a net worth of $129 billion. And this compound is reportedly worth $100 million. I just don't have much to add that's going to be of value. Like, whatever you're thinking right now at home, like, I, I agree. You know, it's, it's insane that he's like, my daughters are helping raise these animals. And that's what we should focus on. Not the fact that, you know, in, in an area that has limited fresh water, I am growing macadamia nuts to feed them i'm growing beer which is very water intensive to to feed them and then like cows are already so intensive on on the land and on the water can cows even have beer i'm sorry i had to i had to ask that question first i should look that up i don't know let's let's probably not right like probably not right that's my first thing and then my second thing time out oh go ahead can cows drink beer? Big bold letters. First thing that comes up on, on uh, Google. Cows should not consume beer. It is an alcoholic beverage, which is not healthy for cows since they are unable to process alcohol like humans do. However, beer can be used as a source of nutrition for cows thanks to the combination of grain, water, and hops. So, oh, okay. In Japanese tradition, cows were fed beer to stimulate their appetite in hot weather. So he's feeding them beer probably in, probably alcoholic, right? Not, non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. 
and maybe it's just to increase their appetite like get them drunk so they have the munchies we've all been there <laughs> but what the hell like what is this man doing yeah my, my second thing is this is just a front so that he can just like raise all the wagyu beef or like um, produce all the wagyu beef he can so that he can just like lather it up with um, sweet baby rays S- smoking meats smoking meats like he just wants to continue to smoke as many meats as he possibly can and he's literally just going to like kill these cows by overfeeding them beer. It's just, it sounds like a fake story. Like, I don't mean to laugh. It just sounds like a fake story. It's unreal. He's not a real person though. Like <laughs> every time you think this guy is like more out of touch with society, he says, you're right. I'm going to go do it again. So anyway, like this is all to say that rich people aren't looking out for us. They're, they're not. Stop no. glorifying billionaires. Start taxing billionaires. And uh, God, I just... I love the people that protect billionaires. Like, they're like, they're so smart. Like, what do you mean? Of course he's not doing this. Like, it's because of this tax loophole. Like, shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Like, I'm not talking about legality. I'm talking about morality here. Yeah. And the, the exact thing that you were just mentioning, I saw a meme one time that it's like, you know the meme where it's the soldier holding his arms out and there's a bunch of knives flying at him and he's like protecting yes, this yes, person yes. sleeping there's on flames. a bed. Yep. Yeah, and he's protecting the person sleeping on a bed. The person sleeping on a bed was uh, billionaires, and then the ones uh, the soldier. It said people who protect billionaires, and in return, the billionaire was handing out an empty hand, and in the hands, it just said absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, and that's exactly it. Like people defending Elon Musk, being like, "Oh my God, like I love his." ventures into space he's so cool yeah what is he doing for you what is he doing for you besides harming the planet and then like yeah spacex is cool it's good that they recycle the materials but like i'm gonna go out and say that billionaires are a net negative on on the world yeah agreed i'm yet to find one that it like mark cuban he's doing good stuff with the pharmaceuticals industry Mm -hmm. he shouldn't need to do that because we should be able to like i don't know have billionaires pay more taxes and then have free health care. Yeah, well, you forgot the first you forgot the first step though is that we live in the USA, so that's Yeah, we're never going to tax billionaires what we should until, you know, 30 years from now when when our generation is geriatric and, and able to be politicians because we only elect people that are 65 up. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our last <laughs> quick hit of the week because we could do this all damn day and we don't want to. So this one's titled A New National Park is Born in Columbia from the Nature Conservancy. Yeah, if you didn't turn off the episode after that, we got a good story for you now. <laughs> this article is from TNC and it came out on December 2nd. Um, We're also going to discuss another article that's linked in your show notes that's from January 16th uh, by the New York Times. This is all about Colombia's national natural park, Serrania de Manacasias, and it's 168,476 acres and is set to protect a wildlife corridor that connects the Orinoquia and the Amazon, which TNC calls out as the second largest tropical savanna in South America and the largest river basin and rainforest in the world, respectively. Around 25% of all bird species from Colombia live in this corridor, and there is a ton more biodiversity set to be protected here than, than just those 25% of birds. Colombia contains around 10% of the total biodiversity in the world. So this news about the country's 61st national park protecting so much of that is absolutely great. 
The park is located roughly six hours from the nearest town of San Martin, and visitors will be required to navigate unmarked roads across what Jenny Aaron Smith of the New York Times calls, quote, an undulating sea of green prairie grass, with cell service dying the closer you get to the park. The park has been in the works since 2010 and receives support from international and local wildlife organizations due to its importance in protecting plant and animal species. Columbia used around $20 million from a fossil fuel tax and environmental impact compensation payments for the park. A group of nonprofits raised another $5 million collectively to purchase the land to be protected. This includes the Nature Conservancy, Rewild, and the Weiss Foundation. The World Wildlife Fund also supported the creation of the park through the hiring of lawyers and topographers to help manage the sale of ranches on the now protected land. The land now protected under this park is home to tapirs, peccaries, capybaras, lizards, freshwater turtles, and countless bird species. Yeah, this is great news. And honestly, I was I was reading some projections. It looks like this is probably going to be the last national park in Colombia, um, not because of any bad news. It's just they've protected most of the land that is is protectable at this point. So this is really good news. I am happy to see so much biodiversity being protected in the corridor between the Amazon and the Orinoquia. You know, corridors are really important. That was something we talked about when we covered Path of the Panther last year with Carlton Ward Jr. from National Geographic. Mm. Wildlife corridors are basically the things that can can maintain both ecosystems. So to protect that in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, which like we don't even need to explain why that's important. And then the second largest tropical savanna in South America. That is huge. This is awesome news. Yeah, seriously awesome news. And the stat that was the most like unbelievable to me was that Colombia contains 10% of the total biodiversity on planet Earth. Like, yeah, how could a, a country, you know, not that big um, have 10% of the entire biodiversity on earth. It's really, really unreal. So great that they protected, like you said, their last potential national park. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And you know what, with that, that'll be it for this week's episode of TPT. We will be back next Friday for another episode. Until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can and follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music year throughout it. Nick, where can people bump your tunes all weekend long? You can bump it at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Thank you. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace.